Hi, fellow fiends. Welcome to another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. And just remember, you can find me every Friday with a new episode on your favorite podcast platform. And if you're an Anchor subscriber or a patron, you can find me every Friday plus every other Tuesday with a bonus episode. Don't forget, you can also get the Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces themed scented candles at the Wiccan Face store over at pizzaandpigtails.com. You can also order keychains and stickers by shooting me a message either on the Instagram or Facebook page at creepycases.spookyspaces or by sending me a message um, at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. So one thing I've learned in my short time on this planet is that it is impossible to know anyone fully and truly. And no matter how close you are with someone, you believe that you know them, but you just can't 100% know what goes on in their head. And it gets a little disappointing when you have a vision or an idea of someone or you look up to them and you picture them as this great person who does great things for humanity and the environment until their darkest secret is revealed and it becomes known that they're a murderer. And that's just the beginning of the creepy case of Ira Einhorn, a.k.a. the Unicorn Killer. And so I want to say uh, this episode does talk about abuse and murder, um, domestic violence. So if you are sensitive to that topic, I recommend maybe sitting out this week. Ira Einhorn was considered a counterculture hero. He was born to a middle-class Jewish family in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on May 15, 1940. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania in 1961 with a major in English. Einhorn actually served as an instructor of English at Temple University during the 1964 to 1965 semester, and his contract was not renewed after he made his contempt for the academic world very well known. And he was a self-proclaimed environmental activist, and he made a name for himself in ecological groups. And during the 1960s, he was a symbol of opposition to the war in Vietnam, And he took on the role of a tie-dye-wearing ecological guru and Philadelphia's head guru. With his long beard and gap-toothed smile, Einhorn nicknamed himself Unicorn because his German-Jewish last name translates to One Horn. He advocated flower power, peace, and free to love to his fellow students. And he also claimed to have helped found Earth Day, a pro-ecology festival still celebrated each year. 
Though in reality, he was actually asked to leave committee meetings due to his disruptive behavior, and he didn't really contribute to the organization in any way. And because of his status to the local environmental community, he was asked to take the stage on the inaugural day, which turned into a 30-minute rant in which he refused to give up the microphone and the stage. Now, Einhorn became friendly with peace movement stars like Abby Hoffman, and Fortune 500 corporations also found him irresistible and lined him up to hire him for advice on trends of the future. And now in 1971, he even ran for mayor of Philadelphia. He later became a New Age futurist and paranormal ex expert, giving audiences lectures about psychic weapons, psychedelic drugs, and the environment. And he was well-connected with scientists, corporate sponsors, and wealthy benefactors. But Einhorn had a side to him that the public never saw. He was jealous, abusive, self-centered, a serial womanizer, and just an emotional hurricane. And twice he attacked two women who rejected him strangled a woman into unconsciousness. He hit a woman in the head with a bottle. And in his journal, Einhorn actually wrote that violence always marks the end of a relationship. In 1979, he became the prime suspect in the disappearance of his 30-year-old girlfriend, Helly Holly Maddox. Their five-year relationship was stormy and marred by countless breakups. Hi listeners, are you a small or large business owner looking to draw in more customers? Maybe a freelance writer, recording, or visual artist looking to share your craft with more people? Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces now has ad space available. And with package tiers starting at just $10, it's a budget-friendly way to spread the word about your business, product, or craft with an internationally streaming podcast. For more details on how to get your ad on Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. beginning, it had been different. Einhorn's charm and personality seduced Holly, just as it had everyone else. Now, Holly was the product of a small town, Tyler, Texas, a one-time high school cheerleader with a love for art and nature. Described as bright, creative, and beautiful, and voted most likely to succeed by her high school class. After graduating in 1965, she attended Bryn Mawr College, a liberal arts school for women near Philadelphia. And she decided to stay in the area because she loved it so much. And she even dreamed of opening a bohemian style dressmaking shop there. Now, Holly wandered into Einhorn's heady world in October 1972, when they met at his favorite hangout, La Terrazzi restaurant. Now, he often, quote-unquote, held court there, but never picked up the tab. 
According to author Stephen Levy, when the two met, Holly was blown away and overwhelmed by the considerable force of Einhorn's personality. At the time, she was not in a solid stage of her life, and as a result, she was susceptible to a big come-on or a big con. And Holly told her friend Tony Farrell that she was fascinated with the way that Einhorn's mind worked and the ideas he would talk about. And within two weeks of meeting, they were living together in his Powelton Village apartment. Now, Einhorn did very little for himself. He depended largely on the generosity of friends, family, and girlfriends for his daily needs, especially Holly. Now, she disagreed with his more radical ideas, and at one point, they were discussing a rally that they would be attending in Washington, D.C., and Einhorn said he wanted himself and others to get arrested, but Holly was against it, saying that they definitely should not do that. And he dismissed her, saying that it would be like a big party. Now, according to Assistant District Attorney Joel Rosen, Holly was a very creative person, and he believes that she was just as smart, creative, and talented as Einhorn. But because Einhorn was so loud about everything that he did, he was over. She was overshadowed by him, and that actually happens a lot. I've always said that the it doesn't matter who you are. It, ma it matters how loud you are. Now, Levy described Einhorn as the ultimate nightmare for the extremely conservative Maddox family. Long-haired, unclean, hippie type. Holly's sister Elizabeth Hall said when Holly and Einhorn would visit, he was rude and, quote, went out of his way to be obnoxious. And she also said that he would do things like scratch at blisters while they were having dinner. He was overbearing and dominating to Holly. He would put her down. He ordered her around and treated her like his personal maiden. And Holly basically sat at his feet like a pet. Elizabeth says he was a slob and did not have good personal hygiene. And it was not pleasant to be around him. She believes the only reason that Einhorn even came to visit was to create a rift between Holly and their father. Andrea Boyce, Holly's friend and co-worker, says Einhorn was a man who thought a lot of himself, but she didn't understand why because she didn't find him even remotely attractive. She and Holly worked together at a co-op, and one morning Holly had turned her head when Andrea noticed a mark on her neck. And when she asked about it, Holly claimed that she had just bumped into something. But Andrea told her that it looked like handprints and asked if someone had hurt her. And Holly responded, Ira did this. Other friends and relatives also reported seeing her with black eyes and bruises on her arms and neck. There were other problems. Sometimes they would go to parties together and Einhorn would leave with other women. Holly also told Tony that Ira would force her to have sex with other people while he watched. And he had convinced her that she had to do this in order to realize her full potential. 
Nalevi wrote that as the relationship progressed, Holly gathered more self-esteem, and she found that she could do more things for herself, and she didn't like that Einhorn was abusive to her, and she wanted it to stop. So slowly, she began distancing herself from him, and by July of 1977, she had had just as much as she could take. Elizabeth visited them in London, where they were traveling on Holly's savings. And according to Elizabeth, Holly was happy and upbeat, and she said that she was tired of Ira and she was going to leave him when they got home. On August 4th, she did just that. She left without even packing her stuff, and Holly ended up at Fire Island near New York City, where she met Sal Lapidus. The two hit it off and shortly began a relationship. And he remembers her being wonderful, curious, and very bright. And the two were inseparable. And Sal had hoped that this was the start of something big. He said that it had its obstacles, but the relationship was wonderful. Einhorn began calling Holly repeatedly. And on September 9th, he called her going nuts and off the wall. He threatened to throw her clothing and belongings out onto the street unless she came back to get them. Now, Einhorn was not happy she was with another man, and Holly agreed to come back, but only to get her stuff and end things for good. Nassau says that he didn't have any bad feelings when she left, but he had a bad feeling when she didn't return, as promised. And it wasn't like her to say something and not follow through. Hey, fellow fiends. Have you ever wondered what it would smell like to walk through a dark and foggy cemetery at the witching hour? Or how about sitting in a dim, damp file locker Pouring over the details of the creepiest true crime cases? Well, if you have, you're definitely one of my people, and you can now put those wonders to rest by heading over to pizzaandpigtails.com, clicking on the Wick and Fay link in the left-hand corner, and getting your hands on your very own Wick and Fay candle line. Now, if you're not into those scents, don't worry, you're still one of my people. But they also offer a wide range of fragrances, such as Bitch Slap Blue, Sunday Yummy Sunday, and Chill the Fuck Out. And with a wide variety of fragrances, you are bound to find something for everyone in the family. So, what are you waiting for? Head on over, pizzaandpigtails.com, click on the Wick and Fay. And don't forget to use the checkout code CREEPYSPOOKY to get 10% off your first order right now. When Holly didn't return as planned, Saul and some of her other friends reported her missing to authorities. Detectives interviewed Einhorn, who told them that, sure, she came back to the apartment, and they talked things out. And they were getting along pretty well, but one day, she went to the market to get tofu and sprouts and just never returned. He said that she just walked off into the sunset. 
At the time, investigators had no reason to suspect foul play. However, Holly's family and friends said that she was not the type to just up and disappear. And she didn't take any clothes with her. She didn't take her belongings that she had actually come back to get in the first place. And her inheritance money was still sitting in her bank account. And they hired two former FBI agents, Robert Stevens and J.R. Pierce, to investigate. Their ambitious report filled hundreds of pages containing dozens of interviews and detailed the events surrounding Holly's disappearance. Initially, their investigation was hampered by Einhorn's influence and reputation, and their sources were limited, but they were able to follow up on a few leads. They spoke to a couple who had gone to the movies with Einhorn and Holly on September 11th, during the weekend that she went to get her belongings, and it was the last time she was known to be alive. A few days later, Einhorn tried to get some friends to help him dump a large, heavy steamer trunk into the nearby Shaikol River, claiming it was filled with top-secret Russian documents, and no one would help him, and he asked his landlord, but they also declined. Tenants in the apartment below Einhorn's told one of the investigators of a choking stench seeping into the apartment that smelled like a dead animal. They also mentioned a crack in the ceiling that had brown sticky liquid seeping through it. The tenant also reported a blood-curdling scream and heavy banging around the time of Holly's disappearance. The landlord tried to enter Einhorn's apartment to find the source of the smell, but he denied him entry. And when plumbers were sent in, they noticed a closet that was actually above where the, down, the leak downstairs was, but Einhorn refused to open it. Now, after 14 months of investigation, Stevens and Pierce brought their report to police. And this was the report that actually brought authorities to Einhorn's apartment on March 28, 1979, with a search warrant. And at this point, Holly had been missing for 18 months. Former detective Michael Chitwood was involved in the search. And when he entered the apartment, he was hit by the smell and immediately went to its source, the padlocked closet and he pried it open with a crowbar. Now, being a homicide detective, he knew the smell of a dead body. After moving some boxes, he found a sealed trunk, and opening the lid, he found newspapers dated August and September of 1977, styrofoam, packing material, and air fresheners. And he dug through until he came across a human hand. And underneath was the rest of Holly's body, mummified by the heat. He said to Einhorn, it looks like we found Holly. And Einhorn responded, you found what you found. An autopsy revealed Holly was killed by six blows to the head with a blunt object. And soon after his arrest, Einhorn began claiming that the FBI and the CIA had framed him and planted Holly's body in the closet. He claimed the reason was he knew too much about their weapons development, psychic research, mind control experiments, and global conspiracies. Now, Arlen Specter, a former Philadelphia district attorney, 
now U.S. Senator, took Einhorn's case. He pulled off a rather impossible bail for Einhorn, $40,000, meaning that only $4,000 was all that he needed to get out of jail, on a murder charge, mind you. His friend, Barbara Bronfman, Canadian socialite, who was married to an heir of the Seagrens' fortune, paid for it. Detective Chitwood said no one else who was charged with murder was ever allowed out on bail during his entire career, and he told the district attorney he was worried that Einhorn would run. He said that he was also sickened and disgusted by the parade of prominent people who sang the praises of Ira Einhorn, even though he was accused of murder. And this list included a corporate lawyer, a playwright, an economist, a phone company executive, and even a minister. Just two days before a pretrial hearing in January of 1981, Einhorn fled the country. A warrant was issued for his arrest, but he was already gone. And 12 years went by, and in September of 1993, Philadelphia authorities put Einhorn on trial in absentia for Holly's murder. It took the jury only two hours to find him guilty of first-degree murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. Einhorn was evading authorities in Ireland, Sweden, and England, and France. Now, Richard Benedetto, head of the extradition for Philadelphia's district attorney's office, refused to give up. He tracked Einhorn across Europe, interviewing dozens of former former friends and lovers in an attempt to find him. While in Ireland, he was evicted, and the landlord, Dennis Weyer, reported him to the FBI when he discovered that Einhorn was a run wanted fugitive. By this time, or at this time, there was no extradition treaty between Ireland and the U.S. And I'm sorry, I, I don't care if there's no extradition treaty. Um, I know that means that you can't really get involved and you couldn't be arrested. However, this dude is wanted for murder. How do you just be like, no, we're not going to help you track down this murderer? Well... In 1984, Einhorn and his girlfriend broke up. She moved back to the U.S., and Di Benedetto interviewed her, and she told him that Einhorn was receiving funds from Bronfman. Two years later, they were finally able to get in touch with Bronfman, who said that Einhorn was traveling with Anika Floden. Swedish police found their address, but Einhorn was on the run again, and Anika, who was still there, claimed that Einhorn's name was Ben Moore, and she was just his landlady, but investigators didn't buy it and believed that they were actually lovers. The years dragged on, but after 16 long years in June 1997, Einhorn was finally apprehended and arrested in France, where he was living in a farmhouse under the name Eugene Mallon with his Swedish wife, Anika Flauden. He was found in a dilapidated windmill and taken in. Now, it wouldn't be until 2001 that Einhorn would be sent back to the United States, which, oh my goodness, what? There's fine, you know, you finally get somewhere where there's an extradition, there's a treaty, and you can't get him back faster than how many years is that? Ugh. 
it's just maddening. Now, in October of 2002, he was found guilty and sentenced to life without parole. Ira Einhorn, a.k.a. the Unicorn Killer, died in prison in 2020 at age 79. All the way up until his death, he claimed his innocence, and he claimed that the FBI and the CIA were framing him because of all that he knew, which I highly doubt that. If you knew all of that, they wouldn't come after you and frame you. They would just come after you and take you out if, they, if that's what they were really doing. Now, upon learning of his death, Holly's sister Elizabeth told the Philadelphia Inquirer that she was glad the chapter is finally closed. An old classmate stated, quote, One thing that makes it difficult to describe Holly after all of these years is that when she was murdered, she was not finished becoming herself yet, and she possessed enormous potential. Holly's memory, memory still lives on today. She's not only recalled by family and friends, she's a beacon for those, both men and women, in abusive relationships. And if you or someone you know is being abused, please reach out and get out. Find local resources. And if you have to go back for belongings after a breakup, Take someone with you, call authorities, let people know what's going on, just stay safe. And too many feel that there is no escape, but as a survivor myself, I am proof that it's possible. Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.spookyspaces for all podcast news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe through the anchor.fm or the Patreon page for exclusive access to bonus content, early episode access, and thank you swag. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like to hear featured on a future episode, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com.